Hi, thank you for joining me for this episode of Conversations About Adoption. I'm your host, Jen. For this episode, I talked with Cheyenne. She is the first mom featured in the June 2021 Time Magazine article called The Baby Brokers, Inside the United States Unregulated Private Adoption Industry, written by Tate Root, who I'd like to mention is an adoptee himself. Shan and I talk about her story, things that couldn't be said in the article, and what she's working on now. Please see the show notes for links to find her on social media. So hi, Cheyenne. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to have you on Conversations About Adoption. And um, uh, you, you told your story parts of it, of course, it was edited in the Time Magazine article last year called The Baby Brokers. And I wanted to, you know, hear more about your story, you know, an unedited version coming straight from you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> whatever you're comfortable with sharing, um, it would be just like great to get your side of things. Yeah. So um, in 2009 I found out I was pregnant I had been like I had I was just being a young adult I was out being irresponsible and I got married really fast to someone I didn't know and I had always wanted to just have kids and be a mom anyway so it wasn't exactly an accident like we knew what we were doing and then after I ended up pregnant I found out you know, exactly who I was with, which ended up being a terrible, terrible person who went to prison just a few months later. Oh, wow. Um, he also, so he has been charged. He's registered for a couple different things. Um, and unfortunately, there are about a half dozen minors now involved in like he's had he's he's had a lot of children with a lot of people and some of them were underage and um I just factored into one of the last few um part of our whole relationship part of what wasn't like delved into it all into my article and what like kind of led led up to like you know the adoption and all that was you know he had me just so manipulated and um he was he's so good at that and he had me so manipulated and then you know he he also was adopted and um I'm not sure how he played that off as a positive at the time like looking back I'm like how did I see that as a positive because his story was wild and um just really sad adoption story which probably plays into a lot of his criminal behavior Mm. with that adoption trauma since it started all that you know the behaviors that he's been arrested for all started I guess within a year or two after um hmm. I'm trying not to tell his story even though he's not a good person like I still don't want to involve like innocent people in his, sure you know, that but, 
safe to say he had a other bystanders. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and he definitely showed the adoption trauma, you know, he, he, and it was clear why he acted out and the way he acted out is very, it all just makes sense if you know who he is and what happened into that. And, and that it wrapped up into a good story. It ended up being this positive story and it was not, um, I actually found out years and years later they also left this out. So while we were together, the short period that we were together, he um, had made a bunch of phone calls to his mother. I'm using air quotes here. Mm-hmm. And um, I found out this last year or the year before that this woman has been passed away, his adoptive mother that I thought I was talking to while we were married. Um, has been passed away since just a year or two before he asked to meet his biological mother. Mm. Um, so I've no, and I never found out the mystery of who I was speaking to over the phone that was pretending to be a grown man's mother has hmm. never been solved. Hmm. But it is very one of the weird things that he, you know, the the level of manipulation. Like there were multiple people involved in the level of manipulation he had over me like he had strangers pretending to be a deceased woman yeah it was it's the story is so wild like I look back and I'm like how is this even like this is is this a movie or is this my like actual memories was he older than you um just barely okay um he he had his trust fund baby um and um the only one uh, you know he was adopted as his only child and remained an only child daddy was a doctor and he got all that money very very young mm-hmm. um just it was just a lot of there's just a lot of stuff that played into that story and he ended up trying to you know <laughs> he played it off to be like oh it was this positive thing before I found out about all the other sides of the story that people had who had known him longer came to me years and years later and told me about like about his mom being passed away and how I was talking to who knows you know for however many months right right um <laughs> it's, so you... it's just wild and then what was that so it said in the article that that you you know when you were pregnant you discovered that he was going to be going to jail and that led you to making a plan for adoption at that point so yeah he uh, the exact moment that it all led up it wasn't really like a plan he uh, we went we were in portland and he was like, by the way, this trip isn't just for fun. I have court tomorrow. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and wow. he's like, yeah, I've just got an arraignment and then it'll be done. And I found out about, we went to the arraignment and it was like a nothing. There was like hundreds and hundreds of people in the courtroom and they like just said his name and it was done. Like it wasn't even like a, they were like, we'll deal with you later basically yeah and they, it was so fast there was literally hundreds of people in that courtroom um but after that um they didn't really go over the charges until he was sentenced and taken to prison that day and that was only a month later maybe two months later 
um, after the initial like appointment. And it was just, it was so mind blowing. Like I was constantly reeling, like it was constantly trying to process this like mind blowing information. Like this person that I thought I'd met and thought I knew was just actually somebody totally different. Right. And then, you know, the pretty like a month before he was like taken away, they, uh, you know, he's like, we should talk about adoption. And it ended up being, you know, he ended up being out long enough that he was able to meet the adoptive parents huh. with me. And looking back again, this man talked the entire meeting and was so charming and, um, you know, just made them so comfortable and looking back, like, did I, did I even speak? Huh. You know, I look back and I'm like, why, why wasn't anybody like trying to help me? Like I was clearly being manipulated and, you know, abused and they just, you know, they, I don't know if they just didn't know the signs cause they were a lot younger too then. So, you know, I don't know, but it was like looking back and like he was very he put on all the charm for them and then he went away and while he was in prison you know I ended up they started sending me my monthly bill monthly bill money for gas to my doctor's appointments but when we had done the initial stipend you know and I sent it back the adoption counselor had told me like that's not enough. These people have more money in their adoption fund. You can ask for more. And my ex, you know, being a large giant piece of crap <laughs> was like, Oh, okay. And then added in all these jail funds. And he actually, they would send me a visa card and I would be required to use it. Like he would call me that day. And if I didn't give it to him, then I would I would lose my home because he would call his attorney of his estate because his father was alive at the time and he had inherited a trust, but his dad was not mentally well. So the trust was partially for his caretaking as well. And, um, but I knew that if I didn't pay this guy's requests for whatever he wanted in jail, that he would take the home that his lawyer was providing for me while he was gone Jeez. away. No. So it was like and, for and nobody stuff stopped. Yeah, he had he had a trust lawyer and it was like a monthly amount that he was allowed to give for that trust, you know, okay. for rent. Yeah, um yeah. for us. And you know, prison doesn't charge rent, so I got that rent. <laughs> <laughs> but um part of the part of the whole um like coming to terms with realizing who the guy was, you know, after he went to prison, you know, I had tons of people come up to me after he was gone and say, Oh, by the way, did you know he has, and he had um, two other kids then. And now I think he has six total. Oh. He's not allowed around minors at all. So he would have to have supervised visitation with any of them. Wow. And in the state he was in, there's a max for child support. And, um, he reached the max because he had so many kids that it didn't matter how it didn't matter what I did. I would never get more than like $200 a month from him. Wow. And he was like, what are you going to do? How are you going to survive? Like, you know, you're not going to, and um, be able to make it like that. And, you know, 
every time I would suggest like, well, maybe I could work and you could work and then you could pay me and we could, I could stay home. And, you know, and he was, he would be like, no, well, how am I going to work? And we're not going to be able to afford, but you know, it was just a ploy. He just didn't, I, I think that he has a thing with getting people pregnant because after I placed my son, he got two or three more people pregnant after that. So I think feel... it was kind of like a, I was going to say, do you feel like he manipulated you into relinquishing? Yeah, I think he, he definitely had a huge part in it. He was the one that suggested it. He used his, like, all his childhood adoption stories of these, like, painting this beautiful adopted life because he was adopted by a doctor in a, I don't remember what his mom did now, but she probably stayed home with him if his dad was a doctor. The but, whole better yeah, life um, thing. Yeah, yeah. He painted that for me. He definitely led the way picking the couple. He led the way picking the agency. He led all the conversations with the adoption counselor until he was gone. Like he was the ringleader of this operation wow. <laughs> until he was gone. And by the time that he was gone, the adoption counselor had had me convinced that she was on my side as well. Huh. which she definitely was not. And I feel like they shouldn't even be allowed to call them adoption counselors because she was not counseling me in anything except trying to uh, take, she, she definitely worked to the language that the adoption counselor quote unquote uses was very reminiscent of just her trying to take me out of the equation. Like you know, there. She, when she would call me, she would talk about their baby, not my baby, their baby. Oh, um, that's so. You yeah, know, like she very manipulative. Was she a counselor working for the adoption agency? She wasn't actually a counselor. That was actually just her job title. Okay. Um, and her job, I think, she worked for the adoption agency. Okay. They tell me that it was a private adoption, but they paid this lady to be my counselor through them. But she spent the entire time convincing me to give my baby away. Every time I had a doubt, she would talk about how great they were and how hard it was that they already had somebody else change their mind and how they had at one point. They had everything for a baby and somebody changed their mind. So they had to give it all away because they couldn't look at it. And now they've bought it all again. And that will happen all over again, which actually tells me that they were probably mentally unstable. Like you don't buy thousands of dollars of baby stuff. A lot of in people anticipation do. Of an adoption. They're so excited about it. They away. like fantasize, you know. And oh my gosh, that tells me that there's like mental illness. Like, right? Oof. I have a theory about that, but anyway, I do. I, yeah. I do. I'm gonna. I have to do some writing, but I, I have a theory about with certain people, infertility can lead to mental health issues. Yeah, but like, uh, it's. I'm gonna be writing something down about that eventually, but because there's like a whole thought process that goes with it. It begins with like right. the rep repetitive aspect of when people are quote unquote trying 
and it's no longer, you know, sex for joy and pleasure. It's, you know, we got to make a baby. And so it's all calculated and people are tracking all these things. And I feel like it leads to obsessive thought patterns because you're thinking about it it's every that, day. You know what I mean? And that's not healthy. Yeah. And you have to, if they're, if you're doing it. Yeah. It was, it, it was very concerning. Like looking back, there was a lot of red flags with um, the whole situation. The, I felt very uncomfortable a lot of the times that the adoption counselor would talk to me. Um, when I found out the sex of the baby, um, she, I was on the phone. My ex, now ex was still there. So, you know, it had, it had to be just days or weeks before he was about to be going to prison. And, you know, I was trying to deal with that. And I had found out the sex of the baby and they um, was on the phone with the counselor and she immediately put me on hold, called. I don't remember why she called me that day. I think I had a doctor's appointment, so she was checking up on how the baby was probably. So in the middle of this phone call, she puts me on hold, calls the adoptive parents, and, so, and puts them on the phone with, with me with no warning and goes, do you want to share the exciting news? Oh and I was like, what exciting news? Because I was so miserable. I was the most miserable human being on this planet, hands down, while I was pregnant with him because I was like, I'm pregnant for nothing. I don't even get to keep my baby, you know? And yeah. um, I was just so unhappy that I was just the biggest bitch ever. I mean, ever. Like, that you could look at me and I would be like, what do you want? You know? And yeah, really irritable. I was clearly mentally not well. And um, at least I'm not saying I was dangerous. I was just not okay with what was going on. And it was pretty obvious if anybody had tried to get, get me help or anything, but, um, oh gosh, I distracted my own self with that. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm trying to backtrack to where I was what I was talking about before. Oh, no. So she tells me, we're on the phone. She tells me, do you want to just tell them the, the great news? And I'm like, what great news is she talking about? You know? And my my ex is all, oh, yeah, the baby's a boy. It's a boy. And I could tell the adoptive parents also weren't ready to hear that information. Mm -hmm. They were um, the adoptive mom. Like, li li looking back now, the adoptive mom was audibly disappointed that it wasn't a girl and mm. the dad was audibly excited huh. and but it it felt like a lot of pressure to me like it looking back like I was feeling so pressured and we were just in the middle of this drive and we had parked and there was a car full of people having this conversation on speakerphone like with these it was so awful and that wasn't the only time that the adoption counselor who was supposed to be there for me yeah. pressured me into doing something or saying something or talking to the adoptive parents in some way that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, and initially, we I actually didn't choose these adoptive parents as well. I chose a different couple and was denied choosing that couple because the adoption counselor told me, well, they already have a child. So you should choose somebody without a child Ugh. and then suggested this couple and um, 
my ex was like, sure, why not? You know, he, looking back, he didn't give a flying F who took that baby as long as it wasn't him. And um, we ended up choosing them. And over the last 12 years, things have gone through many ups and downs, um, lots of downs, many, many downs. <laughs> but um, the, it, the, I think the biggest issue that I had after everything came out, after the Time article, um, was finding out when my son was seven or eight years old that the adopted mom had been posting a blog on the internet as part of a coaching business, which is her right, whatever. Um, I didn't care about that, but I had found out through that blog that when she took my child home from the hospital, she was an active alcohol addiction. Wow. And wow. remained that way for a minimum of two to four years after he was placed. Oh my gosh. Now, just to and be, I found that out of just to clear the air when you were pregnant and after that, did you have any, and you don't have to answer, of course. But it's just to set the record straight because people always have assumptions about first moms. Did you have any addiction issues or alcohol issues or anything like that? No, I went through, I was partying a lot when I got pregnant and married. I was going through like a lot of partying. But I wasn't like actively addicted to anything. I I was just partying like a lot. And then I actually didn't even consider having any... I almost struggled with alcohol, like, and I would say maybe I did for a couple months. After you relinquished? Directly after, directly after I relinquished. Yeah. And um, I never struggled, like, while I was pregnant with him or after when I got pregnant, because I got pregnant, like, right after I placed him, like, within six months. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never struggled with quitting anything you know, during any of my pregnancies or restraint, refraining from drinking or any of that, like Mm -hmm. during pregnancy. So it was really just such a huge blow to the idea, the, the reason that I, because I had reasoned for so many years, like, you know, I'm in so much pain from losing my child, but you know, at least he has good parents at least he has this at least he has that but like looking back like yeah they they sure had a lot of money to drink <laughs> it's like that I better guess. life thing they talk about but it's not always it's a hundred percent crapshoot yeah. you never know really because yeah when and, you're talking to a couple they can portray themselves however they want to you're only seeing them for these limited yeah, time periods you know right and they were very very they presented themselves a certain way on purpose. Yeah. I can't looking back, like the person that they presented themselves to me as for the adoptive mom is not who they were in any way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after that, um, you know, I looking back, like they did everything that I placed him to avoid. They divorced, they moved him across the country three or four times before he was even in school. Um, like, He's been through so much, everything that I placed him to avoid addiction, moving. Um, I'm pretty sure that at one point, one of his parents has gone through homelessness where they had to stay with their own parents because they don't have a home. 
So he's going through all of this stuff and I was being told up until, so um, when I found everything out, when I found out that they had divorced and, and that he was in a home with an active alcohol, an active addict for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I found out after they had been sober. Right. So the, the doctor mom got sober and, um, I confronted her, you know, I was like, oh my God, you know, what? And she's like, I'm, and, um, what actually happened is I liked this post on Facebook and she blocked me. Wow. And I was, I was like, what? Cause I had just found her after three years of not hearing anything and searching and searching and waiting and waiting and hearing nothing of my once or twice a year updates that were on contract, much less the visitation that that dang counselor promised me um but you know i finally found him and i like i had gotten a couple i'd gotten an update and you know a bunch of excuses as to why i couldn't be remembered to be given updates and um then i liked to post and then i found out you know the next minute i was blocked and I ended up having to write this big long letter and I searched for a couple months for the public address of my son's dad because I found out about the divorce. Mm-hmm. I thought he had died for a few years because I had not heard from her in so long. And I, when she did update me, he was dismissing and um, I thought he had died, but you know, she just chose to not tell <laughs> me. So I ended up writing to him this really long letter and it wasn't like two pages and but it was just hysterical I was hysterical yeah you know I was like after everything you I gave you a baby and you can't even like you how how could she block me how why would she do that you know it was hysterical it was a mess I called her a narcissist Mm -hmm. in that letter and um straight up called her a narcissist said she's a narcissist and I don't believe that you don't see this as a fact, because you divorced her and I can tell that there's something, you know, and I, I called her a narcissist and I truly believe to this day that, that she is a narcissist and it's um, unfortunate. Um, when you it's, it's initially, obvious. I'm sorry, a delay. <laughs> when you initially relinquished, what was the arrangement that you guys had in place as far as contact updates, visits, things like that? So I was pressured to pick something really fast. Like I was, I, the counselor called me and was like, so what do you want for updates? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because, you know, that's a lot to choose. And I think I remember telling her, like, I don't know if I can handle updates because I'm afraid that I'm just going to want to keep him. If I get pictures, it's going to be too hard for me to see a picture of him and also give him away. And kind um, of looking back, I'm like, how could she authorize this placement? Like, unbelievable. But um, they, I ended up putting like two in the contract. It says that I'm allowed two letters and photo updates a year. And in and but you know when I had talked to to the adoption counselor, she. Yeah. You know, at one point I asked her, you know, about visitation. I was like, what do I need for, like, like, what about, you know, if I want to visit someday? And she's all, don't worry about it. This couple is so nice. 
You're going to love them. They will let you visit. You're not going to need that in a contract. Looking with my relationship with the adoptive dad, as it stands today, it's decent. He holds that contract to a T. Oh yeah. Um, The adoptive mom couldn't be bothered the first year or two when um, she would send me just random updates and you know, at one point I got a lock of hair in the mail and then they disappeared a year later. And then, you know, three years later I'd find them and like, I'd get a couple videos or a photo or a couple photos and a letter and an update about it and him and what he likes or whatever. And then she'd disappear again. And now I have that the adoptive dad absolutely checks in within three to four, four weeks of what he and I arranged after I found him and he apologized to me for the way his ex-wife treated me Wow! and had her send me an apology, which was totally, totally not an apology. She actually (laughs) said, I'm sorry that, that my actions caused friction within your own emotions. Oh, like (laughs) gaslighting. Yeah. She was, she gaslit me the whole letter. It was ridiculous. And then she proceeded to say, The proof that I'm doing a good job is that he's a good person and a good child. And I was like, I'm blown away because I was like, you know, children are good people because they choose to be good people. Like, you don't get to take credit for how cool your kid turned out. I mean, some of it, but it's it's not all. It's very, um, she's very nature versus nurture. Yeah. Oh, that's a real thing. um, And it, it shows yeah it shows and but the dad he follows that contract to a t he will not deviate from it um i've begged for visits and been told like basically um they don't want him thinking about his adoption until he's an adult he they want him to think about kids stuff um so okay look i i have to okay as an adopted person i've got to say he thinks about it already i know it whether they want I know him to or not and i mean i i really like i'm a baby scoop era adoptee so it was a closed adoption i knew nothing until i was 30 years old like nothing and it left me in this place of like you know i was given the story oh your mom's young and she had to finish school But as a little kid, like, I didn't, wasn't able to really process that. I just thought my mom didn't want me. And, like, I really Mm -hmm. feel adoptive parents need to do the right thing and make sure the child is informed of, like, these details and know that that's not the case. Because it really affected me my whole life, feeling like, yeah, there was something wrong with me, or my mom just didn't want me. Is what I felt like, and it's awful. I don't it, know what they tell him. I've seen a post on Facebook where he said his posted she post his adoptive mom posted a Mother's Day, um, something from a class, you know, and it just yeah. detailed, you know, she used to post everything publicly on Facebook. So this is all before she shut everything down and blocked me and all that. Mm-hmm. Um. But she posted that uh, Mother's Day tribute and, you know, and he was like, what is my mom like to do? What is my mom good at? What's this? 
with that. And the last thing it said was, why is my mom special? And this will never, I hate that this memory will not get out of my brain, but it says, it said, because she adopted me Uh, and he was probably six at the time. uh, And I was like, ew, ew, no, yeah, (laughs) no, I'm right there with you. And I feel bad. I feel bad because he's being raised to, I don't know how much he knows about me. I've been told by the dad that they've talked about me before, but I don't come up very often anymore. And he just knows he's adopted, but they don't want him worrying about it. So I don't know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) Because I can't read minds. Right. I understand. I was going to ask you if you knew like what they had told you. Are you allowed to write him letters or anything like that? So for a long time, I didn't think so. And then after after they disappeared the first time and I found them, I was like, oh, my God. And I got really excited. And I sent I was like, can I send all the stuff that I've been writing for years? And she was like, yeah. And I sent it. And then she said, wow, this is so much. I'm so glad you sent it. We'll be glad to give it to him in 10 or 15 years. Oh, my God. So since then, I have only sent a copy of the Time magazine, and um, I think I don't remember if I sent much else. Maybe just a letter with that magazine. Um, and I have kept everything else in my house. And I, I I've been struggling the last couple weeks because I just realized, you know. It, he's going to grow up and he gets to choose whether or not he wants all this stuff from me. Like he may choose that he, he hates my guts until he's 30. I'm sitting here thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm counting down till he's 18 to hopefully he can talk to me. And then I realize, you know, Oh crap, his prefrontal cortex isn't going to be developed for another 15, 20 years. Well, the one good thing is that the internet's out there. And when he gets old enough to be on social media, if they permit it, um, you know, maybe he'll find you, you know, or maybe he'll find adoptee TikTok and be like, hey, hey, something's going on here, you know, and that's the reality. It's a different world now. I, I, I wish that this kind of thing was around when I was younger, um, but it wasn't, you know, but yeah, the resources, just the information being out there, you know. And um, it's hard. I wanted to to go back to the adoption agency for a moment. Um, It mentions in the article that at some point you brought up uh, the idea of, you know, what if I keep my baby? um, And the agency was kind of, you know, unkind about it and was implying basically that you'd have to give back all this money. They didn't even imply it. They edited out of the Time article because the agency threatened to sue for oh. what I was quoted. I had to re-quote the article several times to not be sued. Wow. Um, they called me and they had to edit like voiceovers for my other interview that they did at the same time. Because, you know, like I, I told you before we were talking on here, um, the time article was recorded and mm-hmm. done with in conjunction with a newsy article. Right. I remember that. And um, I've been 
warned, you know, like they, they were going to go after, the agency was going to go after Time Magazine for publishing this statement. And it was meant this way. Um, I had a roommate at the time who corroborated my end of the phone call and they still were going to try and sue. Um, I called, I had two roommates. I was in a three bedroom trailer in the middle of nowhere for, you know, 500 bucks a month. And one of them moved out because it was my brother and he was, and we never ever got along that well back then. You know, we mm-hmm. get along great now, but we were still younger and fighting a lot back then. Right, right. So he moved out and I had an empty room and I was standing in the hallway looking into it, picturing a nursery. Mm-hmm. And um, I called the counselor and I said, you know, what, what happens if I want to keep my baby now? what happens if I changed my mind? And she goes, well, the adoptive parents could take you to court and sue you for all of this money that they've been spending on you. And it's close to $22,000 now. Uh. And first of all, it was nowhere near that amount of money. Right. Like, like that was the money that, that was, there's no way that was their total I yeah, think. it was probably, and, if not um, their total, it was the amount they had paid so far. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And they, I, I just said, oh, okay, thanks. And she said, okay, do you, do you have any other questions? And I was all, no. And she's all, okay. And then a couple of days later, um, I tried to call her and she didn't answer because she had thrown her back out. Mm-hmm. I remember, oh, no, oh my gosh, I mixed up. the. Okay, so she had thrown her back out before she said that to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, her being in a lot of pain. And then after that conversation, we didn't really talk again. Um, she went on a leave of absence. I'm pretty sure, like, right before I gave birth. And um, I didn't get an update. Like, I didn't get... I never actually even met this woman in person. Um, She just talked to me over the phone. And I also didn't know she was so, I don't understand how they can say this woman is advocating for, or being a counselor for birth parents through this process, because I didn't even know that I had a set of lawyers. Um, For the whole process, I didn't even know I had my own lawyers until I filed a complaint with the state bar because the adoptive parents' lawyers were the only ones I could find information about on the only I've never received a copy of the uh, paperwork that I signed. I've never received the adoption paperwork ever. How? Not ever. I can't get it. I have requested it and been denied. I've been told that I'm not allowed to have access to it. That doesn't um, sound that was, right. And, you know, right? I'm trying to think. Through, that was through the adoptive parents' lawyers. Yeah. Because I didn't know at the time that I had my own set of lawyers. But when I contacted the other people, they were my own lawyers. They were not, they were not helpful at all either. And I ended up just getting a, they said, oh, fine. And they finally sent me a copy. But it wasn't a copy of the adoption paperwork. It was just the pre-contract talking about um, the like medical release and the stipend, whatever money they were going to send for whatever 
And I never actually received it. I still, to this day, have never seen a copy of the paperwork that I signed well less than 24 hours after almost dying. That doesn't seem right. Like, I mean... I know. And adoptive parents won't give me a copy either. I mean, I feel like anything that you sign, you're entitled to a copy of, like, legally. I agree. And legally, that's true. (laughs) I, so I don't know what the deal is. I feel like that they won't give it to me because it's proof that I signed in the hospital on drugs. Because I was on drugs. I had just nearly died. They had given me an emergency C-section. Yeah. Um, like, he was stuck for hours and hours. So I think that it would have nullified the contract. And I think that they know that. And I think that they know that I would have a bigger story and more proof if somebody gave me the uh, contract. Like if I leaked the contract somehow, they, I think that they would, um, I think something's going on there because I signed everything in the hospital. I never was invited to court. I was never told about court. Um, I feel I was like I'm never told I had vu. 10 days. I was never told anything. And I even had a social worker come to the hospital room. And even she was very aggressive and very rude and awful to me. Um, she actually came in and said, I'm here to make sure you don't change your mind. Wow. Which at the time, you know, I was on drugs. So maybe I was just like misconstruing her attitude. But she definitely wasn't supportive, and she offered me no help whatsoever to keep my baby in any way. And when I asked to see him before they left, she asked to bring the adoptive parents who came, and the adoptive mother cried in the corner for the entire time I was supposed to be saying goodbye, and I didn't even get to really look at him. So I never even really got to say goodbye. It was awful. My experience was horrible. And what really blows my mind is that I can line all this up and I have said all this stuff to the adoptive parents and said, you know, you've treated me like an incubator. And yeah. and they they still can somehow justify continuing to not let me have any kind of contact. Um and like like they never told him about the time article. Yeah. So he's gonna He's going to find out when he's 18 about the time article. Wow. I feel like that's going to be more traumatic than being adopted. Is finding out your adoption is famous for being fraudulent. Yeah. And the adoptive parents continue to limit my contact with them. A few years ago, the adoptive mom was telling people that I'm too emotionally uh, unstable to have contact. Well, my foster agencies have, none of the three agencies that I've been through have felt that I am unstable. (laughs) I was invited to teach a class to adopting foster parents at one point because the, during my um, intake as a foster parent, they do this you know, three hour long interview with a counselor. And she, you know, I had so much education on adoption and, you know, my, the story impacted her so much. She invited me to teach their 
you know, part of their class, like come in and have like a little seminar with the adoptive parents to teach them how to treat biological families and parents. Wow. And um, I've told, I've, it just blows my mind because I tell my son's adoptive parents that I tell them, you know, I'm currently in back in school. I'm pre-law to do law school so I can go rewrite these legislations because I'm already in the legislation group to rewrite the Safe Families Act with oh, wow. the original author. And um, I, I'm in that group and I'm like way over my head because I don't know anything about legislation. You know, I just know about what I've been through and they, they're always yeah. asking my opinions. So I went back to school so I could have more information on it. And because I want to do it on my own someday, you know, I can't rely on this person forever to you know, take my opinion. Sure. And um, I I told my son's adoptive dad that, and he said, you know, you're so brave and strong, and that's so amazing, and the, you know, the corruption through this adoption industry is so horrible, and he went on and on about how great it was and how great I, what I'm doing is, and yet it is still not good enough for me to have contact with my child. That's really mind-blowing. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I, the thing I could understand is if they just said, you know, he doesn't really want contact. He's he's not that interested. He's more interested in Pokemon. You know, like I could I could get that. Like I could understand that. But there's still a refusal to either elaborate and tell me that, or it's just not the case. Right. And and um, it blows my mind that that I'll uh, I could I could be the president. And it wouldn't be good enough. They would still try and act like they're protecting him from me. That's crazy. So wild. I mean, it really is. Like, I mean, you're his mom. What do they think? I mean, it really comes down to the insecurity of adoptive parents. Because unfortunately, there seems to be a whole lot of it. Like, my mom was a little weird about it when... Yeah. I was asking I agree. her, and I also think that it's I, I was asking her to get my papers for me, and um, you know, she was like giving me a hard time about it, and she worked right next door to the bank. Like it was not a big deal to go to the safety deposit box on her lunch hour and get him, and she just kept him and hot and putting it off. And this was when I was like had finally started searching. And um, I had actually been searching for a while and was like, you know, this was, you know, it was hard to find leads, basically. And I was like, look, I mean, these are my papers and I want them. And, you know, she was all weird, not looking at me. And I said, look, I said, whatever I find out, it's not going to change the fact that you're my mom and you raised me, you know, and like. That's what she needed to hear, because after that, she went and got the papers and brought them the next day. But, like, that's what it took. She needed some kind of reassurance that, you know, I wasn't going to find my mom and just, like, split, you know. I've actually told my adoptive sons that when we, mother, that before we had our, we had a, so she blocked me. I contacted the dad. The dad forced her to unblock me and write an apology where yeah. she gaslit me. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, 
I called her on it and I said, you know, that's you're not apologizing, you're gaslighting me and I don't appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I don't understand your I don't understand you because no matter what what happens, you'll always be his mother. You're going to rate you have raised him for this long. You know, it's a minimum you get 18 years. It turns out a lot less if you're divorced, but still, you yeah. know, it's like you get, you know, this all this time and it's not going to matter that I gave birth to him. I just I just don't understand why you can't be confident in your position as a mother. Right. Right. And she told me that I was negative and mean and she can't allow me to bring her down from her place of peace anymore. And I had to go from her life forever because I was not healed enough to be in her circle of peace. That sounds like I know. Some... It sounds, it's just. It sounds a bit mm-hmm. hokey. It sounds like some AA <laughs> yeah. stuff, maybe, you know. Very likely. And that's fine, you know. And I, I just didn't understand because I was so happy for her that she got sober. And yeah. and I was so excited that, that, you know, I was like, oh, good. You know, like, because she was a good mother when she was younger. Like, when she, he was a toddler, she was a lot she seemed to be a lot mm, really invested in being like educational and and just she was uh, she seemed happy to have been a mother finally right. and then you know 10 years later it comes out she comes out talking in all these blogs about how she resented him at that time and oh. she resented being a mother and she just wanted to be away from him and her wow. ex and she hated her life and, you know, it wasn't his fault that he didn't fill her hole and she should have never tried to make him fill that hole. Oh, and, my God. You know. That's all yeah. the proof that adoptees need, been right there. Like, I mean, in a right? way, that's the testimony. That and a I lot say, of- you know, and I, yeah. I have screenshots of it all still somewhere because <laughs> it was so unbelievable to me. I sent it. I sent it to my son's adopted dad. I said, you know, are you comfortable with her sharing this about your marriage, your ex-marriage, your son, my son? Yeah. And and I don't think he was because a lot of it disappeared huh. very soon after that. But because um, he's a very private person, my son's adopted dad has an almost non-existent digital footprint. Yeah. Um, the And a super common name. So trying to find information about this guy would be impossible mm-hmm. unless he went onto his ex's information because she has it all blasted out there. <laughs> wow. So that's like, it's weird, you know, I was listening to your story and it's a little bit like deja vu because there was a girl I had interviewed a few years back and um, young birth mom and she said the same things like i don't believe she was able to get a copy of her papers either and she was being loose air quotes here counseled by you know somebody that was a counselor but they worked for the adoption agency and it was the same thing they were manipulating her into relinquishing and it's just yeah there's like this pattern it's like let's you know when they see you guys coming and you're young they're like we know we got them because they're naive 
you know, and they're yeah. scared and we know that because, you know, they're young, we can manipulate them, you know, and yep. that's just appalling. I I saw yeah. an article and today I that I shared where somebody, I forget where it was, in one of these states where, you know, they're putting abortion bans in place. And I, I can't remember who quoted, who this quoted was from. But they said 13 year old mothers can or 13 year old girls can make excellent mothers. And I was just completely appalled by that. I'm like 50 years ago when my mother was 16, there was no way for her to be a mom. That was unacceptable. And then I'm like, ah, they're seeing it is like, well, they're 13. If they go through with a pregnancy, we can manipulate the hell out of them into relinquishing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I mean. Unless they've got a parent looking out for them, but I, I just the whole thing is just a mess. I fear really another baby scoop era coming from this, you know, Me overturning of Roe v. Wade. I really do. It scares the hell out of me away. It does. Oh yeah, and it's it's very reminiscent of that. It's very scary, and I can just see it's it was it's unfortunate right now because it's huge we have this huge push for for recognized as trauma and it's finally starting to be you know commonly recognized as trauma after years and years of arguing on the internet yeah right. about it mm-hmm. and um now they now we've got all these people that are gonna go well what happens to these babies and it's like yeah yeah. yeah, I'm so pleased to see all these articles that are coming out. I've since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I've seen multiple articles day after day of adoptees and birth moms, and I'm like, this is great. Like now they want to hear what we have to say, and they're listening. But I'm like, where were you guys like 20, 30 years ago, or further back, where we're like, hey, this is messed up, and this is going on all the time, every day, with no federal oversight no no control you know it's literal human trafficking because babies and money are exchanging hands like yeah but because it's not the mom getting the money it's legal you know yeah i think i think i'm gonna propose that in our next legislation meeting i want to propose something that has to do with with the exchange of money with adoption agencies existing at all, like if you're in such a bad crisis that you need to give your baby away, shouldn't care be involved? I'm not saying foster care doesn't have its own set of issues that need fixed. Trust me, I promise foster care is way messed up. There's lots of issues. There's lots of false kids taken away for bad, no good reason. I know. You know, I'm not trying to support foster care in this statement. I'm just saying, if the if if your situation is so poor that you're giving a baby away, shouldn't a social worker be trying to help you? Right? Shouldn't you at least be given the same things that that a mother, or at least offered the same things that a mother that would be losing her baby to CPS would be offered? In my state, current state in California, um, you're required the you know social services is required to provide housing, food, transportation. Wow. Like all all the work um, yeah. down here for family preservation, right? Um, they're That's putting great. that. California's got a really good handle on it. They're trying, 
more. I'm sure they're corrupt. I'm sure there's issues. Don't get me wrong. Everywhere. But they're they're on the right path. Yeah. And uh, like I feel like birth mothers considering adoption should be given all those options too because if I had been given an apartment I definitely would have had a place for my baby and I would not have had to call an adoption counselor and ask if I could keep him exactly exactly it's like I hear about these you know crisis pregnancy centers and they're almost just like a way to funnel in women to adoption agencies because they're not really and there they're almost to always help. like a Christian or Catholic thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost always got a, some religious undertone that's anti abortion. They're not actually crisis pregnancies. They're just. Yep. Have you considered yeah, adoption? And, you know. Yeah. 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 Would you like a lifetime trauma? Right. How would you like your trauma? Would you like it temporary or would you like it a lifetime supply? Right. Um, and moms are most <laughs> definitely traumatized too. I get so angry when I see people on TikTok make ignorant comments to first moms that are talking about how they were coerced and they're like, oh, well, you gave them up, didn't you? You know, and things like that. And I'm just like, like, I went off on somebody right. in the comments the other day because of that. Like, you don't know the whole it's story. It wears you down. I get those comments all the time, and it just it wears on me because it's, you know, I had somebody a couple months ago be like, well, why didn't you try harder to keep him? Like, what else was I supposed to do? Run away into the forest and live with the wolves? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> Jeez, like I asked like several people to keep my own baby. I thought that, you know, looking back, I can't believe I even asked. He was mine. Like, yeah. And uh, the the woman I am now, oh my God. I get so upset because I would never let this happen to somebody I know. And I'm right. like, looking back, I'm like, where was my support system? And <clears throat> SOS wasn't invented yet. That was two years after I placed, I I think was when the birth of SOS happened. Right. And I was, it was just a little too late for me, but I hope that's, that's why I always do all these interviews though, is because, you know, all of, I think every birth mom I've ever met, our biggest fear is dying before we get to have a reunion with our child and Mm. at least tell them one time we love them. And, um, (sighs) I do all these interviews and tell, you know, I always make sure to like try and tell, you know, say that I love my son because, you know, what if he doesn't get to meet me? Right. And that's something I even brought up to his adoptive parents and they still were uninterested. It blows my mind that they're just uninterested in any kind of visitation when I'm like anything could happen to you or to him or to me any day. Right. And and he could regret that. He would regret that for the rest of his life. It's not about me. You know, right. I, I think that visitation would be hard on me personally because I would have to go home and empty handed every time. My my birth mother was deceased and when I found. So I didn't get to meet her. And it's it's hard. I mean, she died when I was only 11. I uh, Wow. Yeah, she was in a relationship that there was some abuse and 
it's one of those things where they were by themselves and so there's a lot of speculation but apparently the story was that she fell out of the door of the truck and hit her head on the road and that was it she was only 27 and so i i didn't get to meet her and you know like okay i found 20 years ago and it was really a kick in the head um it was really a kick in the head because I spent most of my adolescence like angry at her because of not understanding. And then when I finally started really getting into searching, I had a totally different outlook and perspective on first moms. I had met some and and then when I found out she was gone, it was just like, oh, you know, I had at some point had, I had figured out I had in my mind, I'm like, I it was in the early days of online reunion registries where you could put in your information in databases and I spent about three or four years doing that and then finally was like well I feel like if she's not looking for me she must be dead and so unfortunately I was correct <laughs> and um, that's awful yeah yeah and I have a brother through her he's uh, a couple of years younger but we don't really talk much. He's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he has his own issues. Yeah. Right. But we I, went to high school. I, we went to high school together for a couple years, which, and didn't know that we were siblings. And that was a big mind blower, too. You know. Right. It's wild. But yeah, I live, I live really, really far from my son. And I consider moving frequently because i worry you know if the day comes he ever does want a relationship with me how difficult it would be to do from so far away yeah and i i i'm not sure if it's just my paranoia or or what but i fully think that um that was intentional huh it wouldn't surprise me not one bit what it would not surprise me because of like how some Adoptive parents are very insecure. Yep. I yeah, don't understand it. It's like, it's a ride. fragility, you know. It's either, you know, oh, they're all mine and I can't share them, or this kid has problems and I can't deal with them, so they rehome them, you know. <laughs> right. God. Yeah, I, I worry about my son a lot. I wish I had known what I know now for sure. I, I asked them a lot of questions after he was replaced that I wish I had asked him before them before because they won't answer a lot of things like um I would wanted to know at one point what happened to him if they passed away because I was worried about it and they won't tell me they won't tell me who he goes to or what their plan for godparents because I know that you're required to have godparents legally if you adopt oh really Um, so yeah, um, you have to have a backup plan. So I maybe not in his case, but in my case, um, we we had to, even though we're just foster parents, we still had to have a backup plan in case we ended up adopting. The agency forced us to pick parents, like a set of people who would take our kids after if something happens to us. Huh, that's interesting. Um, I had no and idea. So maybe that's not worldwide but i know that's something that was required by our foster agency 
Interesting. And it was just in case. We don't have, like, placements or anything. Like, we're just chilling right now, you know? So you're a foster parent now? Yes. We we are um, long-term foster parents. We used to foster for our county, but it was really hard on our kids to have kids come and go and come and go. Yeah. And now we... We are an open foster home, but we haven't had placements in a long time because we only do. I think part of it's because we're so picky about our placements Uh and part of it is because um, we only will do like foster kids who have no other choice. And then, you know, we ask them so much information that our our own social worker knows that like. I don't think she knows about our my time article, but she knows how I feel about like like they know from our interviews that I'm super passionate about family preservation mm-hmm. and um, making sure like I'm not going to take a foster kid into my home if their parents are being investigated for smoking weed. Like, please take them back home. They are not like, no, you know, so when they tell us things like that, we we won't take them and and I think that a large part of changing what's going on with our the current problems is being able to be in the system and say no I'm not going to do this you're not going to I'm not going to facilitate your you doing this you know to another family like I I refuse you know I refuse to take the kids that I know aren't they're not they don't need Around me, we live in the middle of nowhere, so we don't get a lot of calls as it is. Our system isn't as overwhelmed as it is down in Southern California, say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really don't have to exercise that right very often. Okay. Um, but, you know, like we we were very clear with our social workers that we're not going to be taking any children who aren't in imminent danger. Like, don't, you know, and we also are like, we take only really difficult to, to place children like for some for whatever reason the agency or the county has deemed them hard to manage so yeah. that they come to us and because there's no hard to manage children they're just kids that are traumatized right definitely so whatever so it doesn't we don't do placements very much because I don't you know it's not necessary like and that's it I think if more um States started looking at DCS, treating DCS the way that California does with the family preservation first being required to do everything you can to keep the family together before even considering taking them out of the home. They have, they have lots of, it's, I wish I could spread it out further and I need to read the California's laws so I can bring it to my next legislation meeting. Yeah. Because there's, they they just need to offer this stuff and, and there needs to be some, I'm not the type of person who's all for government regulation. Like I would be the last person I, I was the last person I thought that would be inventing law, new laws or thinking about them or anything like that. But right. there has got to be some kind of regulation with these adoption agencies. They yeah. literally are trafficking babies yep. and manipulating people. They have all these crazy jobs inside their agency and even in the time article one of the they interviewed somebody who used to work for the agency that i went through and 
she said that it was pretty much part of their training to try and coerce these young girls into giving up their babies. That that the language they use was deliberate. Yeah, you know, and it it really is. Uh, absolutely. That's that's oh, so maddening that these agencies are like that. That's one of the things that bothers me is the fact that, you know, if you went to anybody in our United States government, like how many kids have been adopted in the last year, they're going to be like, mm. you know, there, there is right. no oversight. There's no, I think two different years they tried to do a count of how many kids were adopted. I think like one of those years was 97 and I forget the other and I don't remember the numbers right now. But that's it. Like, that's the only interest in the data the government has ever put out. And then, because of one of my classes, we were, um, I had an advocacy class last semester, and she gave us these links, these websites to look at these bills and things like that, um, proposals in the federal government. And there was, uh, of course, I looked up adoption. And there was this proposal for a study for um, determining successful uh, adoptions, like what makes an adoption successful. And in my mind, I'm thinking, they're only going to talk to the adoptive parents. They're Like, that's not who they should be talking to. You know, they don't really care about our opinion. <laughs> and so many right. adoptees have been conditioned to be, you know, well, you were special and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're so conditioned for that gratitude until we like wake up and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> something's not right here. Um, <laughs> you know, but until you come to that realization of like adoption is really corrupt and it's such a mess, the whole system is a mess. And it's just crazy because all of society wants to believe that it's still like this cure-all. It never was a cure-all, but that's what society believed it was for so many years. And it's pervasive throughout our culture because they throw it into books. And, and oh, I don't know if you saw this video I made on TikTok a few weeks ago. I was going through the um, fire stick apps and there was a game called baby adopter and i was just so appalled yeah. i was like what i was like this is ridiculous like why couldn't it be called babysitting game or something why does it have to be baby adopter you know and like it's in plots and movies and and books all the time and it's just like Ugh, i know it's and it's so triggering it's so when all of a sudden it shows up in a movie and you're like, damn it! <laughs> I knew it was well, a top story, I, but I, I didn't can't. want to believe it. You know, I hate that. <laughs> oh my gosh! I went through a whole year where everybody I knew was trying to get me to watch The Handmaid's Tale, and I was like, no. Oh my god, that would be so <laughs> bad for you, like triggering wise, right? Yeah, I've watched yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It makes I'm me like... so angry. I know, and I hate that. I hate I hate how adoptions portrayed in media because things like like Juno, yeah, I definitely used that movie during my pregnancy to make other people feel like I was comfortable with what I was doing. Wow. I literally would just quote the movie, and just people would just be like, "Oh, okay," and that's definitely part of my autism. There is that I remember every detail of movies that I've seen and quote them all the time. 
But I literally <laughs> just, it was like I took the script of that movie and memorized parts of it so yeah. that when people asked me questions about it, I could answer in the same way. Yeah. And people would just blow it off because it was funny or, or you know, smart or quippy or whatever. And And really, I was just quoting a movie because I didn't know how to express what was going on to me. Yeah, it's like propaganda, Juno is. I mean, in a way. Like, I really liked the movie. I cried like a freaking baby watching it and all that stuff. And I, th- I watched it before I was out of the quote-unquote fog. And it still had, like, a pretty profound effect on me. I think. When did that movie come out? Uh, I think well, it was after I went through reunion. But I hadn't really gone through, like, you know seeing how messed up adoption really was yet and um but yeah Yeah. it did it made me cry but like things like that and this hallmark movies all of it where it romanticizes adoption it just it really it hurts my head because i'm like it's more propaganda to make people think it's just great you know and right and so that all that like it's like all of us that are here speaking out against adoption are arguing against all of that propaganda and all of these people who know an adoptee and they're just fine you know and all that kind of stuff it's like it's really like fighting a losing battle sometimes it's i get tired some days you know but it's worth it i think when i get a message from somebody that was like you know i saw the memes you made on Instagram and I really had no idea that it was like this and thank you for you know informing because I was thinking about adopting but now I'm not going to and I'm like all right you know like I've had a few of those and it's so so amazing when I hear that because just yeah it just makes makes all the horrible comments and all of it worth it to slog through the internet full of jerks to to be able to save somebody else's family yeah the way i wish somebody would have done for me yeah right right (sighs) well it's been like really great talking to you i don't know if there's anything else that you want to touch on that we haven't yet um um I've talked about so much. I could ramble forever. I, <laughs> I know I could too. <laughs> well, how did you initially? Do you have any other how did you initially um, get connected with Teak, the author of the article? <laughs> okay, so super funny. I left a bunch of horrible bad reviews on Adoption Network Law Center's um, Google and Facebook, and they couldn't get them removed. And he saw one. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally just complained on the internet until someone famous found it. Oh my god, that's it was just luck. Yeah, and the same thing happened with the legislation too. She found, she saw my article in Time, read it, took the criticism I had of because because I high, I definitely criticized the way adoption is set up and and part of the bill, the ninety seven Safe Families Act is definitely sets up adoption and she took that criticism and instead of you know getting upset she said you know you know I'm rewriting this this is bad let's redo this and she called she messaged me 
on social media and asked me to join her legislation group, which is full of really scary people, not scary mean, but like I'm talking people, Harvard grads, all Ivy League, state department workers, people who an adoptee, they have an adoptee, but he owns an adoption agency. Uh, Super weird. Yeah. But it's like a foster agency too. I don't know. It's, 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 but the people, they're all like Ivy League lawyers, successful business people. The only people that aren't Ivy League lawyers are the birth moms, myself and one or two other birth moms. One of them runs a, a retreat and um, the other one's in college. She's young, but she's in, in school. But um, yeah, for a while we didn't have an adoptee and I was like, excuse me, because I was so scared to talk in that group because yeah. there's just so many, you know, I just feel so out of my league. I was like, maybe we should have, you know, an adoptee writing as well. Yeah, <laughs> maybe more than you one. Know? <laughs> yeah, and and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 I invited so-and-so and he, show, he shows up now. Um, I guess he just hadn't been able to make it to the ones that I had made it to. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's going better though, and I I really think it's it's good though. You know, the woman that, that's running it, she's really, she's really trying. Like it's not, she's not. Uh, you can be very critical of the laws that she wrote, and she's completely okay with that. You know, she's very open minded. She wants to do the change. She wants to help, and she wants to do it by next year. That's great. Yeah. So in early great. next year, we might hear That's some great. some awesome legislation news for federal legislation. I'm hoping. You know, and obviously it's not going to be everything adoptees want all at once. So I'm not going to be able to get annulments like put in there like right away or whatever. You know, there's going to be things that I don't think are going to happen right away or for a while. But I really think it's a step in the right direction. You're saying this is federal legislation? Yeah. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. I just want to open records. Yeah, it's... And <laughs> it's it's crazy it's it's crazy to me because i'll be sitting there and you know i'll be in this group of ivy league lawyers and they're like so what do you think and i'm like i made a grilled cheese today i don't know <laughs> like, oh i don't have any qualifications for this do you want to hear about my sad story or not <laughs> oh my gosh and then, it feels so overwhelming but you know once you get talking to them and you warm up to everybody and get comfortable it's we all start talking and, and, you know, ideas come up and things are really looking good. Like I can't share too much because then I yeah. will be kicked out, but that's, but, you know, it does look like things are going to be changing for the positive in a lot of ways. And they wow. are, it's, it's exciting too, because even if the legislation doesn't get approved, people yeah. are listening and people are trying to change it. And that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that is. I know it's just like they say, you know, change comes slow in the country. Uh, with this kind of subject of adoption, where most of the world has had the mindset it's had about adoption for so long, it's it's going to take a long time to make big changes. But just keep chiseling away at it, you know. That's all anybody can really do. Yeah, yeah. That's why I want to go to schools because. 
I know that these laws like that we change soon are going to be great, but it's something that I'd like to do long term because I know it's not going to be everything we need for a long yeah. time. Yeah. What do you want to go to school for? I'm I'm going so I'm back into school. I'm going I'm pre-law oh. and to figure out school eventually so that I can do this legislation on my own because to write your own legislation, you have yeah. to be a lawyer. Oh, really? Uh, I'm pretty sure that anybody can write it, but if you're going to write it, it has to be in legalese. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very complicated. So I think if you're not a lawyer, you can legally write it, but but you're not going to be able to unless you're a lawyer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I went back to school at 47 yeah, for uh, to become a social worker. Well, not a social worker per se, yeah. but to get a social work degree. And because um, like I, I, I could never work in like CPS or anything like that. But my original plan was to um, be a counselor. And I may still pursue that. But I think I also want to get involved in doing research. Um, like I said, with, I have this theory about infertility leading to like, you know, possibly leading to mental health issues. And I I have other theories about things too, that I would really like to research and, you know, like put the information out there. And like another one of those things would be like this thing that the federal legislation was talking about with this, uh, you know, what makes a successful adoption. And like gathering that data from adoptees, not not adoptive parents. I'm not saying their opinion does not matter at all, but you know, if it's supposed to be child centered, if adoption is supposed to be about what's best for the kid, then we should be listening to those now adults and what they think about it. You know, not just the adoptive parents. It's it's really supposed to be child centered. It's supposed to be a child that needs a home, not a home that wants a kid. And right, you know, so like there's different, I, you know, there's so many things I'd like to do, but I'm getting old. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm excited for this next semester myself. Um, I have one more, I'm starting my senior year and then I'll have my bachelor's in social work. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm glad I don't you're even back want to in school. Think about so. how long uh-huh. it's going to take me to do like law school. I don't even want to think about how long law school is going to take. That's years away. Oh, yeah. But I, I told my. Uh, It'll be worth it. My only school counselor, I was just telling her, like, oh, you know, let's just do this step and then I'll do the next step. And then the next step after that is law school. And I'll worry about that when I get there. Yeah. You have to do it that way because like when I started, I went to community college and got an associates in social work and an associates in psychology. And it was literally like, if I just was looking at like MSW back when I started at community college, I'd have been like, well, this is too much. I can't do it. You know, but instead I just uh-huh. one step at a time, you know, get through community college, graduate, did that, went to the university. Now I'm there, you know, so just, and then I made the mistake last year of going to a website and looking at the curriculum for an MSW. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, nope, don't do that. 
don't don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Just wait till you get there. <laughs> you know, right? Because it's overwhelming. It's like, oh my god. So, yeah. So anyway, so um, yeah, I think that's about it. We're approaching an hour and a half here, and um, it's it's been really great talking to you, and I think you're doing wonderful things, and I really hope that you get a visit one of these days more than anything because yeah it's important. I appreciate you letting me tell my story again and not censoring me in the way that I had to be because you know time was suable and I'm not <laughs> they could sue me you might come get my grandma's old dishware if you want it I guess yeah <laughs> um, right you know? but yeah I I I appreciate you letting me tell my story because I really, I really want people to know that this is just like the reality of adoption. It still happens all the time. Yeah. My story is not even, it's not even that odd or off. It's completely average for what women go through now. If you go through an agency and, and then the, the after effects are pretty normal too. realizing there was addiction, divorce, all that stuff is pretty normal stuff. And you're, I I so wish I hadn't been told that, you know, these people were more immune to divorce because they were better off or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's totally misleading. But at least people, yeah, and but I'm glad people know, you know, at least with people like you letting me tell my story, other people will hear it and we can prevent it from keep keeping on. I hope so. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you, Cheyenne. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you too, Jen. All right. Have a good night. Good night.